Welcome to BuildCast, a podcast brought to you by BCG Digital Ventures. Hi, everybody. My name is Sid Shah, and I'm a managing director and partner at BCG Digital Ventures. A lot has changed over the past few weeks with the COVID-19 crisis changing the way we live and work and having a huge impact on how technology and business interact. With this in mind, we're putting out a series of short BuildCast episodes covering how things are changing. For this episode, I'm joined by my good friend, Beth Feiner. She's a managing director and partner at Digital Ventures and runs her New York office. She's got a rich history of working in the consumer space, being at Kickstarter, Interbrand, and IDEO before joining us. Today, we'll be talking about how traditional B2B, B2C companies are shifting their business models, how new business models are accelerating because of the crisis, and the role that authenticity and purpose plays in surviving. Enjoy. Hello. Hey, Beth. Hey, Beth. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. So, you know, if you think about the last six weeks, consumer behavior has really changed. I mean, I was actually in my closet yesterday. I was looking at these shoes and I, I realized, wow, I don't even need these anymore. And I was so excited about them before. People are not buying things that they want. They're buying things that they need. How has that changed in your eyes, traditional B2B models and, and traditional B2C models? Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I'm sad. I think my shoes are dying a slow, <laughs> slow death in my closet right now. <laughs> I, I'm either barefoot or in slippers most days. Um, yeah. yeah, but I, yeah, I completely agree. I, I see a, a huge shift in consumer behaviors. And I think we don't yet know how it will play out or what it will actually mean in the future for these businesses. But I think keeping an eye on these behaviors will help us understand what we need to actually build to support them. But I love the example. One of my friends um, the other day sent me a text. She also lives in Chelsea in New York, where I live. And she said, did you know that one of the restaurant fish distributors has set up a market in the Chelsea area so you can buy directly to them? And I thought, well, one, that's super cool. And how whoever gets like that high quality of fish directly, unless you live like, you know, on a on a coast necessarily. But also it made me realize and start to think about you know, such so much of our food goes through these B2B channels that actually never um, ends up in a consumer's kitchen, right? Most consumers Mm -hmm. don't have direct access to this. And so if a fish distributor who normally supplies restaurants starts to open up and crack their model to go direct to consumer and consumers get used to having, you know, direct access to fish at the prices that they're used to paying, right? How will that shift and change that business model over time? What will that actually do, not only to that distributor, but what will it mean for restaurants in the future, right? Like we've seen restaurants now start to sell. My favorite is that you can like use your restaurant as like a wine shop, right? So right. you go and you can buy wine at like their, you know, essentially close to their cost. Um, and so how will that change your relationship with a restaurant that's now more like your corner store or bodega um, versus the place where you actually go to eat? And so similarly, all of these places along are changing and shifting the notion of what they are for us and what um, purpose they serve in our life, right? And so the behavioral shifts will mean that these businesses um, likely can't return. So I think if we also think back to the recession in 08, 09, there are behaviors that happened as a result of trying to spur retail that retailers have never actually fully recovered from. Like I always think of like everything at the gap is always 50% off now. And for me, that's a hangover from 08, 09, where we talked 
consumers that they really shouldn't buy things unless they're on sale, right? And so I start to think about what are the behaviors and shifts that will happen. And, you know, from everything from not buying shoes like you and me right now, um, (laughs) to what it will mean for how we think about putting food into our kitchens, where we get that from, and, you know, even how it arrives to us. And do you think that is a function of, you know, consumers saying, look, there's a convenience and a relationship I'm building with, you know, a different part of the supply chain? Or do you think it's really just around, I'm getting the same product at a better price? And, you know, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to expect now going forward. Yeah, no, I definitely, I think it's the former and I think the latter will happen over time, right? So right now I think people, this is out of necessity, right? Like no one has toilet paper. So like if you can buy it from a restaurant distributor in like bulk, and by the way, you can't live in New York to do that because where the hell do you put like a hundred rolls of toilet paper when it arrives on your, in your foyer. Um, But, you know, I think mostly right now people are doing it because they are scared to go to their grocery store um, or their grocery store is out of the things that they need. And so they're less doing it for convenience, right? I think fear is driving people, but also this need to actually have food sources um, and realizing that there are other uh, doors and avenues open to them. I think it's a small percentage of the population, but generally I think, right, these are like early adopters and, um, and this will become a more, clear path as these b2b companies and organizations start to shift and think about how the how um how they can access these consumers but i think the other piece is that you know i think right now it's it's not tangible the idea that like oh wow i have now i have access to this whole new thing i don't think anyone's waking up every day and being like oh my gosh like now i can get this fish but i think over time it's something that they will get used to and then they'll realize if they're asked to go back to quote unquote the old ways of shopping or the old ways of finding that fish that oh wow i actually have this new way that is much more convenient much higher quality and you know the same or maybe even better cost and so why would i do that. So I think that's more of the realization that will come later. I think the behavior right now, a cost conscious or a deal shopping behavior. And, you know, we talked about the change of traditional kind of paradigms, B2B and B2C. You know, are you seeing an acceleration of new business models or new technologies that are filling in the gap of this new you know, kind of way that we're living right now? Yeah. I mean, I, right. I think right now it's so funny to me. I think um, there's like a time and time and luck, right. Is everything. And so, you know, we, we're not going to, we don't have to talk about like what this will do for work from home and technology adoption of like video conferencing. There are plenty of podcasts and articles that anyone could read about that. But I do think technology, we will see acceleration and adoption of technologies that have, um, had had kind of struggled to find their place. Like my favorite story of old is like the Segway, which that was a super cool new quote technology that it would allow people. But what you realized was that the time and place didn't work because cities weren't actually not set up to support Segways in the right way. And now they're like, you know, they're <laughs> they're now the the way that tourists get around cities or the way security guards man malls, right? So it like never really worked. But I think what we're seeing now are that technologies like um, um, 
connected home or what I even think of as connected office that have not gained a ton of traction, right? You have some early adopters, people who like think of themselves as technologists or very tech savvy who've kind of um, outfitted their homes, but the platforms are disparate, like connecting it for, you know, gen pop is like not the easiest. But I think now because of needs that we have, technologies will roll in to support those in seamless, efficient ways kind of behind the scenes. So, you know, I, I actually left New York a couple of weeks ago to go be closer to my parents in Arizona. And I left and realized the stress that you have now in New York when you're walking out of your building and you have to touch five doors and elevator buttons with your elbows and all of these pieces that actually technology will support us moving forward, right? And so if you think about even things like keyless entry for for homes, right? That, you know, I think the technology has existed for a long time, but the adoption has been slow. But the the fewer touch points, physical touch points you can have with surfaces, right? People will want technology to support them. I also think about, you know, for us at, at Digital Ventures, right, how we think about our own offices and how um, the technology will play there, right? I think about returning to a place where there are many doors, not only office doors, but um, entry doors for security, um, as well as kind of like meeting room space, et cetera, and how technology will essentially help to connect people and their devices to both security, secure to provide for secure access, but also, you know, almost like leverage ADA technologies to open those doors for people when they're coming near so that people don't have to touch as many surfaces, right? When I think about how businesses are preparing for us to come back, um, right, the idea that you could track physical separation and distance, right? So what what does it mean to actually be six feet apart? And how do you know if your business and your office is complying with that in ways um, that would allow you to actually bring in more people because the density isn't yet at six feet apart on the average, right? Technology will allow us to do that. And so I anticipate a whole of like very quick adoption to these methods um, that have existed but haven't really found like um, that great fit between like a desirability, a viability, and a feasibility yet. And I think that's coming. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you and I were speaking earlier, and I think this is so funny, but we were talking about how the meme game during COVID is, is really strong, particularly around how how some brands are are kind of trying to sell products to customers, even though they know they don't need them. How do you see brands and companies um, engaging with customers in an authentic way? Um, what are great examples of that? And and how do you, how, what do you think that's doing to customers and, and how they feel about brands in general? And how do you think that's going to change over the next kind of month or two as, as things start opening up slowly? Yeah. I mean, I think they're it's a, such a good question. And I, you know, I think we're all see the memes that like are like times are tough now buy a insert blank car here <laughs> message. Right. And I think, right. Those are memes because they're just not resonating. It's just not the reality of how people um, see their current world. And yes, if you're a large organization, you can spend a lot of money to market and go direct to a consumer. And, you know, some people will eventually decide to buy, but I actually think that there's a greater barrier currently around how, how you connect with consumers. Right. And I think right now consumer brands need to realize that selling is secondary to connection because people just want to be connected first and foremost. They want to know that you're authentic, that you see them, that you understand them. And that brand has to build an authentic relationship and not just sell 
things people don't need right now um, to them. And, uh, you know, so I think this like sell less, connect more model um, is the way through it. And that's not to say there, there are consumer brands that don't need to sell. I absolutely think they do. It's the only way that smaller brands and even some larger ones will get through this. They don't have the luxury yeah. of essentially like pausing their business to create deep relationships. But I do see it working in ways that essentially can extend out um, the crisis of closing a business in a longer way to hopefully kind of keep that thread of connection long enough so that when someone reopens, they actually have even deepened relationships. I see this, you know, in, it's great and easy examples in fitness, right? It's everywhere yeah. that it's been such a clear pivot towards online classes and connection. And it's an easier way to think about it too, because it's usually a person at the center of your fitness class, right? So you probably already have some kind of um, relationship or rapport with that um, with that gym that you have or with a trainer, et cetera. And so when you, they show up in class, it only deepens that connection that you have. I also think gyms are doing really smart things, right? They're streaming some of those things live for free. The ones that are um, paid, they're doing kind of before and after chats to better connect people mm -hmm. to that. And I think the goal here isn't to generate revenue and replace the business they had. The goal here is legitimately to create connections. Their business can survive on the other side. It's to get them over whatever this chasm is that we're currently in so that they can actually exist on the other side of it. And while that's not like the most compelling, right, like economically stimulating way to think about getting through this COVID crisis we are in. It is a way businesses on the other side of it have strong connections. Um, I think they will find that they're able to accelerate and ramp up at a much, much quicker pace um, than businesses who haven't built those connections. And they'll probably see their businesses fall off or not reopen. And so it's certainly, you know, yeah. fitness is like a a good one there's people at the center of it but i think how you replicate that relationship um when people aren't at the center of your business is a great question for organizations and consumer models to contemplate yeah and i'm not i'm not doing this uh i'm not doing this explicitly but I, it's, it's a feeling i have i mean i i really am looking out for those brands that are sending me authentic messages and who are not trying to capitalize on me right now and i'm and, and i'm i think subconsciously keeping notes so that I know where to spend money when the time comes. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure most people are doing something similar. And so I think that authentic connection is, is really, really important during this time. Yeah. Um, you know, which, which brings me to a company's purpose and values. I mean, I always, I always think that during a time like this, there's two things that can make a company kind of go under. One is obviously not having, you know, a strong balance sheet. But the second thing is if your value system cracks, right? If a crisis kind of tests your value system and it can't survive, what role do you think a company's kind of purpose and values play during a crisis? And how do they, how do they um, play the tug of war between that and survival? Yeah, I, told, I love the descriptor of a tug of war because I think it is a tension and you have to decide. I think each company needs to decide based on what their values are and who their employees are and who their consumers are, what that balance is. So there's no formula, unfortunately, but I think you, we see many companies right now putting their employees first, right? So I'm going to do the right thing for my business because I want all my employees and people to have a place to be, to a place to work, a place to be supported, a place to get benefits from in the future, right? So I think that's one version of purpose. We see a lot of services firms 
reorienting to say, we're actually digging in deeper to the core business we have right now, because we want to we want to make sure that our people have a place to be. I think on the other side, we see many businesses pivoting um, to actually better serve their communities, because by better serving their communities right now, they actually better serve their business. It means they can get back to their business, right? So like, I love the like the um, baseball ma- uniform manufacturer that's pivoted to making PPE, right? Like, it's not a departure from their business if you think that the goal of actually providing PPE to frontline workers is actually to end the crisis with more speed so they can get back to baseball. There's a small a startup shop in New York called Name Glow, which provides kind of neon for events and, you know, homes, et cetera, right? So their business isn't probably exactly booming right now. Um, but what they've done is they've essentially pivoted their whole operation to support and create face masks. And it's not... I think one, like it's in their values and their DNA to support their community first. But second, like, and this is, this goes back to, you know, when we were talking about consumer behaviors, right? Like no one's making the tangible, like explicit choice um, to, to, to get back to business, but that's actually what they're doing, right? They're essentially supporting their community because by doing that, it allows things to return to normal at a faster pace. And so I think purpose in this case is anything you can do to support those people around you that allows you to ultimately get back to your core purpose. That's what purpose is right now. And I think you'll see that it resonates um, when organizations step in to do that, to either support people directly, to support their communities, all with the end goal of, you know, having that baseball season show back up. Yeah. And Beth, just the last question. I mean, you're the leader of our New York office, and I actually think we're doing a, a pretty good job, you know, connecting with our staff and our employees. What are some tactics that you're doing, that we're doing, that you think are working, that's keeping our community of employees strong, keeping them energized, you know, getting them ready for what's coming, you know, even though it's unknown, you know, uh, what, what do you see that's resonating that's working really well that, that um, around this Yeah, time? I think there are definitely a number of things. One, I think frequent check-ins with people, whether those are individual one-on-one check-ins or kind of keeping up and actually increasing the cadence of like our team meetings in New York, um, just making sure people see everyone, um, making those meetings not necessarily serious, but also playful and fun, um, allowing uh, kind of people to remember that they're actually probably not at DV for the work. I mean, they are, obviously everyone, the work is satisfying, it's fun, but it's actually the way we do the work is which is why people stay. And so providing people those um, access points to have that fun, have that play, I think is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, I think uh, the other piece that I think we're trying to practice and, you know, I say trying because like no one ever gets it right, but in this like very foggy, unknown world where no one really knows what the future looks like, you it doesn't serve anyone well to give them the answer about what life is going to be like a year or two years from now, because we actually just don't know. So I constantly am just trying to provide clarity and the what's right in front of me, right? So I can give you clarity about what I know now, and I can do that in an honest and transparent way. And then I can provide what we're doing right in front of us. What's the next step or two that we're taking to get there, right? And I think all people really want now is to know that uh, there is there is a plan for this unknown future and we're, we are one or two steps ahead um, of how we're thinking about getting there. And I think the last thing is just recognizing, you know, I love there's all these articles around like parents and 
like homeschool and how hard it is. And, you know, it's like, you're not actually, you know, running a school, you're working while running a school, like the, you know, the, these things are not normal. And I think the same goes for work life, right? That it's just not normal. And the more we can recognize people as human, the more we can give them opportunities to take moments to relax, to walk around the block, um, to actually take and use vacation time, um, the better, right? This is not a normal situation where we were working from home. Thanks so much, Beth. Really appreciated uh, your perspective on things and um, and looking forward to see you again when, when we can. Yes, for sure. Thanks, Sid. Thank you for listening. For more information about BCG Digital Ventures, find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram, and stay tuned for more episodes of Buildcast.